All right, so tonight we start with The Mind That Thinks It Is Lord, page 79. I want to speak to you today of confusion, and I want to speak to you of clarity. For confusion will keep you turning in circles and chasing your tail, seeking but never catching what you seek. Clarity leads you easily, slowly, like gliding to the one goal that cannot be missed. Confusion comes from judgment or deciding or thinking one knows without checking with me. This is the core of all confusion. And without this one error, confusion is impossible. So what's amazing about this paragraph is this is really saying if we would stay truly surrendered and just keep asking, what am I to do now? Which, of course, includes all of those other questions. How am I to see this? What am I to think? How am I to respond? Et cetera, et cetera. We would never be confused. <laughs> we only get confused because we decide, to ju- we decide to judge, decide, or think that we know. We decide to do that for ourselves. And when we decide to do that for ourselves, that's what leads to confusion. Now, the next paragraph, because I know this, I've read this book many times. <laughs> so the next paragraph says, I ask you to look at this one paragraph written above and accept it deeply into your heart. Do not think about it. Merely, in peace and with love, Accept what I say as true. Read the paragraph at least five times, silently accepting it before continuing. Now, lots and lots and lots of people will read that and say, well, you know, I already read the paragraph. I don't need to read it again. Or I'll read it once. I don't need to read it five times. But what's really funny is we've just been cautioned against deciding for ourselves. Right? So, I'm going to sit here and read this paragraph five times. Are you ready? Yes. (laughs) Confusion comes from judgment or deciding or thinking one knows without checking with me. This is the core of all confusion. And without this one error, confusion is impossible. Confusion comes from judgment or deciding or thinking one knows without checking with me. This is the core of all confusion. And without this one error, confusion is impossible. Confusion comes from judgment or deciding or thinking one knows without checking with me. This is the core of all confusion. And without this one error, confusion is impossible. Confusion comes from judgment or deciding or thinking one knows without checking with me. This is the core of all confusion. And without this one error, confusion is impossible. Confusion comes from judgment or deciding 
or thinking one knows without checking with me. This is the core of all confusion. And without this one error, confusion is impossible. So I'll skip down now. Watch the mind carefully. Notice how it wants to judge my words or judge my methods. Notice how it wants to choose against me and decide what is best for itself. That is the confusion mechanism. That questioning and doubting feature, which is a core mechanism within the mind, is a separation creation mechanism that keeps you blind to the truth. And you know, most people do not think about this. But if I decide, you know, I'm going to decide what I think about this, there's a distinct me in there. I mean, that is the I thought it right. I'm going to make this decision, you know. There's a distinct me in there. So that is the idea of separation, right? I mean, <laughs> that's exactly what it is. You know, as long, and you know, again, what I said is, Lots of people will read this first paragraph. They'll read the instruction that says read that paragraph at least five times, and then they immediately decide, I don't need to do that. Well, that, that decision mechanism, the one that decided I don't need to do that, that's the thought of separation. Right there. That's it. And that's what this next paragraph says. Notice how it wants to judge my words or judge my methods. My method was asking you to read it five times, and on your own, you decided you didn't want to. You separated yourself from me right there, right there, when you made that decision. And then look what happens. The next line says, read this paragraph five times, right? So let's do that. Watch the mind carefully. Notice how it wants to judge my words or judge my methods. Notice how it wants to choose against me and decide what is best for itself. That is the confusion mechanism. That questioning and doubting feature, which is a core mechanism within the mind, is a separation creation mechanism that keeps you blind to the truth. Watch the mind carefully. Notice how it wants to judge my words or judge my methods. Notice how it wants to choose against me and decide what is best for itself. That is the confusion mechanism. That questioning and doubting feature which is a core mechanism within the mind, is a separation creation mechanism that keeps you blind to the truth. Watch the mind carefully. Notice how it wants to judge my words or judge my methods. Notice how it wants to choose against me and decide what is best for itself. That is the confusion mechanism. That questioning and doubting feature, 
which is a core mechanism within the mind, is a separation creation mechanism that keeps you blind to the truth. Watch the mind carefully. Notice how it wants to judge my words or judge my methods. Notice how it wants to choose against me and decide what is best for itself. That is the confusion mechanism. That questioning and doubting feature, which is a core mechanism within the mind, is a separation creation mechanism that keeps you blind to the truth. Watch the mind carefully. Notice how it wants to judge my words or judge my methods. Notice how it wants to choose against me and decide what is best for itself. That is the confusion mechanism. That questioning and doubting feature which is a core mechanism within the mind, is a separation creation mechanism that keeps you blind to the truth. Now you must ask, who is the I that questions and doubts these teachings? Undoubtedly, you will discover that it is an I that thinks it stands apart from these teachings. You know, so if we had decided that we didn't need to read those paragraphs five times, in that decision, aren't we automatically deciding we're separate from these teachings? Right? Because if we saw ourselves as one with these teachings, and knowing that these teachings were here to help us wake up, and that they came from us, that they couldn't be written on this page if we didn't want to hear them, Right? Well, then we would willingly go into it. So if we're saying, ah, I don't need to do that, I get this, we're saying I'm separate from these teachings, and I can decide that I don't need this. You know, that's the separation creation mechanism. Right there, I just created a sense of separation. So again, now you must ask, who is the I that questions and doubts these teachings? Undoubtedly, you will discover that it is an I that thinks it stands apart from these teachings. So then ask, who is the I that stands apart? There is no answer to this question, because there is no I that stands apart. If the mind should try to answer me, I am the one who stands apart, Ask the mind with conviction. Who is me? There shall be no answer because there is no I that stands apart. And this actually works. If you haven't tried it, this will work because there isn't anybody there for you to argue with. I mean, you know, the, you know like if you and I as two apparent separate people, we could get in an argument. I could say something, you could say something, I could say something, you could say something, Right? But when you start looking at the mind and you start really asking it, who, who are you? You know, it might say something like once, like, oh, I'm you. You know. But if I'm listening to you, who are you? 
after one or two questions, it goes completely silent because there's nobody there to answer. That's, that's a great exercise. Yeah, there's nobody there to answer. Yeah. You said, can you, can you do that again? Sure, you want me to do that again? All right, so, so, I, so the mind is chattering along. You know, the mind is telling me, you know, I, I don't need to read this book. I mean, I've read this book a million times. I could just throw this book aside. I don't need to read a paragraph five times, right? And I say, who is it? that says, I don't need to read this paragraph. It's me. Who is that me? I'm you. You know, if, if it goes that far, I'm you. If I'm the one listening to you, who are you? And at some point, there's just no answer anymore because there's nobody there to argue, right? There's nobody there. There's emptiness behind you know, the, what's happening with the mind is these thoughts are just coming in and being recycled. But behind that recycling wind, there's nothing there. And if you keep looking, what you discover is that there's nothing there. And this is what people mean when they say the ego is nothing. Right? There's nothing there. Sure, there is this recycling activity happening of thoughts you know, that you believe coming back. But you start looking behind them. You don't find anything. And the more you practice this, the more you start to see the mind as nothing, but also the more you start to, as you experience that space behind the, the surface, the more you'll start to recognize the space. And you'll start just paying attention to the space instead of the surface activity. Well, I, I say you're actually kind of, look, well, like I said, you're looking beyond the surface because... The surface is the re recycling of thoughts. But what you're doing is you're looking beyond the surface to see what's really there. And when you look beyond the surface, what you find is there's yes, nothing. Well, in fact, uh, you guys may remember who came, used to join us here. He told a story one night here when we were studying NTI about, uh, he says he remembers when he, as a child, actively started repressing conscience or the Holy Spirit, whatever you want to call it. He, he remembers, I think he said he was around 10 years old, and he was in a parking lot, and he got this idea to go around and stick gum in the key locks. This was before keyless entry. Everybody had to stick their key in. He got this idea to go and stick gum in all of these key locks so people couldn't unlock their cars when they came back. And he, he clearly heard, <laughs> don't do that, right? And, and then he decided to go ahead and, and do it. But if he had started questioning the mind then that wanted to put the gum in the key lock, right? What is it that wants to put this gum in the key lock? Me. Okay, but what is this, what is this me? I mean, you know, he would have hit that silence. And once you hit that silence, you know, the whole idea would just kind of fall apart. And he could have avoided 30 years of juvenile delinquency, you know. <laughs> He says that was the beginning of the, the 30 years of, you know, all the mistakes he made until he finally woke up around age 40. <laughs> oh, yeah, so asking that boy, that's an excellent question. So what do you do when the conscience comes in and you ask? Um, I can ex tell you how I experience it. Um, and I don't know, maybe someone else experiences it differently. Maybe you'll have your own answer after I tell you. If I question the, the right-minded voice, okay, um, you know, who is it that is telling me this? I get this confirmation that, you know, it doesn't say me or something like the mind does. 
but there's this heart confirmation that, you know, again, it's still silent. Yeah, there's just there's just this definite feeling that I mean again it doesn't say me because it doesn't have that thought in it but there's this definite feeling of this is something I should listen to you know? but it's not posing as a me so it doesn't answer in that way <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right so starting at the bottom of page eighty when the voice that questions and doubts my teachings has been put to rest you will find the call in your heart that asks you to simply and clearly listen to me. That's not way what we just kind of talked about. Because I am the voice of your heart, and your heart is the truth of what you are. So let's go ahead and demonstrate this again with one story. So he's now 10 years old, but he's a little wiser. <laughs> and so when, when, the, when the mind speaks up, telling him to put the gum in the key locks, you know, he says, he says, what is it that's telling me to put the gum in these key locks? And maybe he hears a little 10-year-old, come on, me, it'll be fun. What? Who is that? Who is that that's telling me this will be fun? Me. If I'm listening to you, who are you? And it just disappears. And then he thinks, oh, what about that other voice? That other voice that I heard a moment ago telling me not to put the gum in the key locks. So he turns his attention to that. And he says, what is it that says don't put the gum in the key locks? And he feels this heart opening. And then his questioning also stops in silence. But it's like the answer is completely different. One just kind of disappeared as a nothing. This is more like an everything, a silent everything. And that's what this paragraph is saying. When the voice that questions and doubts my teachings has been put to rest, you see, with the first question in my made-up story, he put that, that voice to rest. You will find the call in your heart that asks you to simply and clearly listen to me because I am the voice of your heart and your heart is the truth of what you are. So through inquiry, you can tell the difference between the one that is the pesky little surface voice and then the one that is this guiding system that's really what we are to listen to. The humility you feel when you listen to your heart is a true reflection of what you are. For there is no one above another and no one who can decide what is best for himself. So what this is talking about, this is quite interesting because, you know, if I am 10-year-old Wayne and I do go ahead and listen to the voice that's telling me to put the gum in the locks and I do that, you know, I'm going to walk off thinking I'm pretty special. I mean, you know, right? Isn't that what the juvenile delinquent feels like? <laughs> Look what I pulled off on all of those stupid adults. I'm smarter than them. There's no humility in that. But if I choose to listen to the heart that says, don't put the gum in the key locks, I'm going to walk off feeling, you know, good but humble, right? I don't feel better than anybody, right? And that's what this is saying. If you listen to me, there's a sense of humility but also in this humility, there's this equality. You don't think you're better than anyone else. You know? you, and, and so you also aren't going to think you're worse than anyone else. It's this, it's this, humility is actually equalizing. Some people think of the word humility as putting myself below others. But it isn't. Humility is equalizing. Everybody is, becomes equal. 
So the humility you feel when you listen to your heart is a true reflection of what we are. For there is no one above another and no one who can decide what is best for himself. Clarity comes when you listen to me without the questioning and doubting of mind. But in order to do this, the mind must be put to rest because it is a natural function of the mind to question and to doubt and to want to decide for itself. So this paragraph is basically saying mind is never going to change. You can't wait for the mind to decide uh, to surrender. You, you surrender the mind. You let go of the mind. The mind is never going to um, be anything but the mind. <laughs> you know, that's what it's going to do. Right? <laughs> this isn't about changing mind as much as it's really about letting go of the mind and starting to listen to something different, which we're calling right now the heart or inner Ramana, but the heart is a good word. Clarity comes when you listen to me without the question and doubting of mind, but in order to do this, the mind must be put to rest, because it is a natural function of the mind to question and to doubt and to want to decide for itself. When you are listening to mind and you want to decide for yourself, you put yourself above me. When you are in the position of above, you are identifying with a false perception of self. By false, I mean untrue. And so in that moment, you are blind to self. So again, it, even if I do something as simple as decide not to read these paragraphs five times, right? I don't need to do that. I'm putting myself above the, the guidance that was provided here to read the paragraphs five times. And, you know, again, that's, that's the false self. Like we've already seen, there's definite separation in that. How can I put myself above something, right, and not be separate from it? So this is really just pointing out to us how we continually separate ourselves, right? The separation thing isn't an accident, <laughs> We do it consciously all the time, every time we decide for ourselves on anything. Abide in me as I abide in you is a call to abide in the one self where there is no one that stands and lords over another. But to know this one self, you must put the lording mind aside because the mind that thinks it does know and it can decide does not know the one self that at all times knows there is no Lord. And that's kind of an interesting statement because most, not most, many people think of surrender as putting myself under something. You know, like I'm putting something else above me. And that's why a lot of people resist surrender, right? But the truth is when we surrender, that's the equalizing effect. If I surrender to the inner voice, I start to discover that I am that inner voice, that we are one, right? That's the equalizing effect. When I don't surrender, I'm putting myself above it, right? That's really what I'm doing. I'm putting myself above it. So if we want to realize the truth, we want the equalizing effect of surrender. We want to let go of our lording mind, 
learn to practice surrender, learn to follow surrender, learn to feel the humility of the equalizing effect. And the equalizing effect happens all the way around. You don't just feel like you're one with that inner higher self. You start to feel like you're one and equal with everything. You know, so it's a, it's a major equalizing effect. Now, in, in history, I guess, when I was writing the teachings of Inner Ramana and this paragraph got written, the mantra for me changed at this point. Up until now, I was saying the mantra, I am that I am. After this paragraph, I knew I was to say the mantra, abide in me as I abide in you. And so for the next... Now, I had been saying the mantra, I am that I am, uh, probably nine or ten months before this book even started. So I had been saying it for nearly a year by the time I shifted to abide in you. Abide in me as I abide in you. But when I shifted to this, this mantra I stuck with for like another nine months or so. And the more I said this, the more, because I remember when I wrote the teachings of Inner Ramana, I had great resistance to surrender. Great resistance. The more I said this mantra, the more that resistance died. To where the resistance was placed with a wanting to surrender. So the first mantra, I am that I am, that's what caused me to be aware of awareness as what I am. I never had that experience until I was saying that mantra. This mantra caused me to want to surrender self-will. And last week I had thought that we would get through two messages this week, but I was wrong. Uh, We're only going to get through one. I don't think we should go on to the next one. So that might answer my question. I was going to ask you if for the assignment you wanted to try this mantra this week. Yes. You want to try that? Shift to a new mantra, abide in me as I abide in you, and see if any clarity or any shift occurs through this mantra. So we'll just make that our assignment, plus continue to practice surrender, because that was a big part of this teaching, right? So continue to practice surrender, but try the mantra, abide in me as I abide in you. Try to say that as often as you remember to say it. All right, let me stop the recording.